Welcome to the Keto Lifestyle Podcast hosted by nutritional coach Jessica Tai, where we are dedicated to promoting health and overall well-being through nutrition, specifically the ketogenic diet. We will provide you with all the latest science in nutrition, interviews with experts in the health and wellness field, and answer all your burning questions so you can find optimal health. This podcast is not intended to be used as medical advice and is to be used for informational purposes only. Please contact your doctor with any and all medical questions. Now here's Jessica. Hi everybody, this is your host, Jessica Tai, and welcome to the Keto Lifestyle Podcast. This is episode number 21. Woohoo! We've completed 20 episodes and we're on the 21st. I can't believe it. So today I've got uh, an interesting show for you guys, I think. I'm going to answer some listener questions today. I'm going to focus on that. And maybe the best part of the show today is I have Derek here. Hey, how's it going, everybody? <laughs> I'm so excited to have my co-host today. <laughs> well, you know, uh, it's been a crazy few weeks and uh, you had some awesome uh, guests here. So I think it's a good time for me to come back at least for one episode uh, and kind of see what's going on in our life again. That's always fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we have had a crazy couple of weeks. And as many of you may know, uh, if you follow me on any of my social media, then you would have seen some um, mentions that I was in the hospital, let's see, uh, last week with my youngest daughter. And it was not a good time. It was crazy and it was awful, but I thought we should talk about it a little bit here since I know a lot of you have seen that and responded to me in regards to uh, our little hospital trip. And so I just wanted to kind of um, talk about it a little bit, get some of the information out there and uh, go from there. All right. So uh, I guess let's start back with last Friday, kind of the uh, I guess a week and a half Yeah. So ago. not this past Friday, not the Friday after Thanksgiving, but Two Fridays ago. Yeah. So uh, yeah, if you're listening to this on a delay, it may seem uh, out of out of there. So that was like the 17th. I yeah, guess. the yeah. 17th. So uh, so, won't you just quickly tell everybody kind of what happened there? Well, basically, so our youngest daughter is adopted from China. She we brought her home three years ago, and she was on the special needs list. So she has some some delays and some issues. She needed a. I, a heart surgery when we first brought her home. So we brought her home in September of 2014, and she had a heart surgery that December and needed to be done pretty quickly. So she's been fairly healthy since then. Um, definitely made some huge improvements in her motor skills and things like that. When we uh, adopted her from China in 2014, when we got there to get her, she was two and a half years old and she couldn't even stand on her own. So she couldn't stand, crawl, walk, anything like that. Um, not even with assistance. So, um, so she's overcome a lot in the last three years. She's, you know, walking and though her gait's not normal and some things like that, she is, um, pretty, pretty physically active and able to keep up with the kids for the most part. And so, um, so she's made a lot of big strides and we're <clears throat> unsure really, well, we had been unsure up until the events of the 17th, kind of what, uh, maybe was leading to some of her, you know, physical ailments and just her inability to, to kind of de be developed normally at this point at a, as a five and a half year old. So anyway, uh, so Friday, um, 
we, I had a, just kind of a normal day. I, uh, Lily does not go to school on Fridays. She's in preschool. So she was home. So I played with her in the morning. I had appointments in the afternoon. So I, uh, ran out at about 1130 or so. Nanny came and watched Lily. My other daughter got home from school at about noon or 1230. So, you know, they just had like a normal day playing, hanging out. And Lily still takes a nap because she still gets pretty tired during the afternoon. So, um, at two o'clock is her normal nap time. So she went down, the nanny put her down for her nap at two. Everything was normal. She had had lunch and they had played and just kind of a typical normal day. And, uh, normally Lily will wake up between like three and three 30, but if she sleeps, if she's super tired and she's still sleeping close to four, we just go in and wake her up because two hours is plenty of time. And we want her to be able to sleep in the evening. So at about three, now I had come home at about three o'clock and I was actually getting changed and getting ready to go to a different appointment. So I was uh, kind of swapping stuff out and getting ready to run back out the door at about four. And at about 3.55, the nanny went in to wake Lily up from her nap. And I was in my room upstairs, just down the hall. And my uh, other five-year-old daughter started yelling and the nanny started yelling my name and, you know, to come in here. And, and my uh, Gabby, my other five-year-old came in and said, mommy, L you know, Lily got sick. And so I'm like, oh no. So I went running in there. And as I met the nanny in the hallway, she said, she is actively seizing. She's having a seizure. And so, sorry. <laughs> get emotional just thinking about it. It was such a scary, it was really scary. So anyway, I ran in and um, if you, I know there's so many of you have reached out to me that you have children that have had seizures or you have a child that's epileptic. And, and um, if you haven't experienced that as a parent, I pray that you never do. Um, it was just awful to see your child like that. So she was actively convulsing. Um, her teeth were, you know, gritted together. She had thrown up on herself. She was sweating profusely, um, you know, convulsing pretty violently and um, making some pretty awful noises. And um, I just knew she was in pain. I mean, I could just feel that she, I mean, she was so stiff and it just looked like she was so tired and exhausted. And I thought, my God, how long has she been doing this? I mean, we put her to bed at two. So essentially she could have started having a seizure any time after that. So um, anyway, my nanny, thank God, she's super quick thinking. And I learned later that she had actually um, had suffered seizures in her past. So it wasn't something that scared her. So she immediately uh, ran, um, ran and called 911. She told me, I'm calling 911. She ran and got the phone, called 911. Um, I immediately picked up Lily and held her and just tried to talk to her and uh, tried to get her to, to wake up. Like, I just didn't know what to do. And I was getting really nervous because I noticed that she was... Um, really starting to kind of hyperventilate. And again, if you've never witnessed that, it isn't anything like you see in movies or you think like, oh, you know, you could make yourself look like you're hyperventilating. I mean, this was like a violent, obvious struggle for air. And I just thought, I literally thought I was going to hold her while she died. I mean, like, I didn't know what to do. I tried to, I tried to get her mouth open. I tried to help her get more air, but she just, I couldn't get any response from her. 
And I just knew that she was in there suffering, but I didn't know how to help her. It was just really awful. So anyway, um, the ambulance came, the EMTs did finally come and they, um, it was a little bit of a struggle even to get the medication into her to try to stop the convulsions um, because she was seizing so you know, violently at that time. They were able to kind of get the convulsions to stop and then they took her from me and put her on a, on a, you know, a stretcher and wheeled her out of the house um, and into an ambulance. And so, you know, we ran out to the ambulance and got in and got prepared to leave. And, um, and then um, at some point, it's all kind of a blur. It went so fast. I was calling Derek and telling him, you know, oh my gosh, we're going, Lily's having a seizure. They're taking us to Children's Hospital. And he was rushing to get home. He had had to leave in a, a client appointment that he was at. And so we were um, in the ambulance and I don't know exactly when this happened, but at some point I turned around and looked and I could see that they were, um, they were physically pumping air into her lungs. I mean, they, they had intubated her and um, were manually breathing for her. And that's when I knew it was bad. Um, I saw them getting all kinds of, of crazy equipment out. And, and then I heard the, they wouldn't let me sit in the back with her. Um, I had to sit up front and the, uh, one of the EMTs that was in the back radioed up to the front uh, to the driver and told him to pull over into a nearby large parking lot um, that air care was on the way. So yeah, that's, that's, that's crazy. Like when, yeah. when you hear the, the helicopter calls, you know, things are crazy serious here. Yeah. So, so I kind of, that's when I kind of lost it, um, jumped out of the car. You know, I, I told Derek, you got to meet us at this parking lot. They're they're They've called air care. So uh, long story short, they, they air care landed in this parking lot. Um, I jumped in the helicopter with, with Lily and the pilot, and the, they had brought a whole new team. Um, when you get air care, when they come out, it comes with a team of nurses and a doctor, um, different, different emergency trained personnel. So um, we left all the uh, local ones behind and jumped in this helicopter and took off. And again, you know, the whole time they're trying to uh, breathe for her and keep her going. Yeah, the crazy thing is we only live about 15 miles from the hospital. So you would think like that wasn't that, uh, like they could have just driven there. But I guess they felt like, you know, every minute counted at that point. So that was pretty intense. Yeah, yeah. it was. So we arrived at uh, Cincinnati Children's Hospital and... They put us into the trauma unit, um, which is, you know, they just wheel you right in from the uh, from the helicopter, you know, pad there, just right into the trauma bay. So um, so they worked on her for probably about a half hour to an hour, I'd say. I wrote all this down as it happened, uh, well, right after it happened, so I would remember. But anyway, once they got her stable enough, um, they, again, she was still intubated. She was still um, had a machine breathing for her. But... They got her stabilized enough to, they got the seizure stopped and, and whatnot. So they, we were able to go to the pediatric ICU unit. So we uh, arrived there and we were, she was unresponsive and on the breathing machine until um, this all happened at about four o'clock. And then they took her off that machine at about uh, midnight that night. Yeah. So, um, so that was a huge relief for us that she was breathing on her own. She was still largely un unresponsive until sometime during the next day. 
But um, anyway, so we were there for several days. They were just trying to figure out what what caused the seizure, trying to figure out what what to do and what the plan needed to be. We did get we did finally got stabilized, got her stabilized, and we moved to the neurological unit. They moved us, upgraded us from uh, ICU to neurological unit um, on the twentieth. That was Monday. Yeah. So from Friday to Monday, she was in the ICU. And then um, and then we she made a really, really tremendous recovery between Monday and Tuesday. Yeah, we had um, like put it out on Facebook that we needed prayers and support and love. And we had literally hundreds of people uh, and their families. So it could be a thousand people out there that were praying for us. And then they were sending... Uh, request to their churches to pray during church. And it, so, you know, those of you that are believers out there, you understand the power of prayer and that not only did it help Lily, it also helped us through a real difficult time to have peace and uh, what they call the peace that passes understanding. Like you you feel like you should be freaking out, yeah, but you're not. And you can't really understand why. I think that's a when you go through that, that's the only time when you can actually understand what that feels like. So you know, those of you that have felt that before, you can probably relate to it. And those of you that you haven't, thank God, yeah, because <laughs> it's not fun. Well, right? I remember so. the um, one of the ICU doctors um, put her arm around me on like the second or third day. And she said, I just want you to know that you are doing really well with all of this. Um, during her ICU stay, it was just really a horrific experience. She had so many tests done and she had two more seizures in ICU and it would just teams the doctors. I mean, I don't think that there was probably 15 minutes between rounds of tests or doctors or her getting, you know, another IV put in for something or, I mean, it was just a really crazy, she had all these just crazy things happen. She had super, super low sodium and phosphorus. So they had to, you know, do another line in her. I mean, she literally ran out of spots for IVs. I mean, yeah, and her her vessels were collapsing because they couldn't take it anymore because she's a cardiac patient because she had heart surgery. I mean, it was like all these crazy, I mean, it was just awful. And she still pulled through it. Yeah. And um, they were just, the neurology team was just so impressed with her by Tuesday afternoon. They're like, listen, if you feel comfortable going home, um, you know, we think that she is going to make a full recovery. So, yeah, that's pretty amazing. So she's, she's a fighter. She's joyful. Like anyone that's ever met this little girl, she is always smiling. She's always, uh, you know, she's, she's always uh, got that feeling a joy around her. So she encourages a lot of people. Mm -hmm. She can't speak really. She can say a couple words, but you know, at five years old, people see her and they expect that she's going to just start talking and she doesn't. So there's a few little challenges still there, but uh, the more you spend time around her, the more it does encourage you and, and lift you up. And her brothers and sister have also come alongside of us during this journey and they've learned empathy and sympathy and uh, kind of caring for people that might need more care than others. And I'd say that it's a uh, experience the whole family has been able to take uh, a lot out of and, and apply it to treating other people with more kindness and respect and, mm -hmm. and, and care and empathy, I think. Yeah, it's, um, it, it was, um, yeah, there's a silver lining in all this, but she's, she's doing really good now. She's, I'd say she's almost to 100%, um, 
I mean, I notice a couple little things here and there. I'll be like, well, that's a little bit off, but, but she's expected to make a, a complete recovery, get kind of back to her normal. And, uh, it's great. So she's, you know, kind of the new normal for her and for our family as she is on anti-seizure medication now. She has been diagnosed epileptic and we are continuing to do uh, work with neurology and genetics and try to figure out, um, you know, kind of how all this fits together because she has had, um, you know, she had the cardiac uh, issue, the heart issue, and then she's, uh, you know, got these delays and now she has had seizures and now she's, you know, epileptic. So, um, we're assuming that there's probably a syndrome that goes along with all of those things. And so we're working to try to figure that out so that we know kind of what to expect in the future and how we can help her better. So yeah, it'll it'll all work out great. Yeah. so we're we're optimistic and faithful, and thank you for everyone that had uh, come alongside of us during that time. and uh, you know, yeah, it's a it's a great community of people out there in this health and wellness community that really care about each other and really want the best for each other. So we really appreciate that. Yeah. And it's great that her mom is so into nutrition and (laughs) and learning about uh, health and wellness and all of that. And there could not be a better diet for treating uh, seizures than keto. Well, that's so, kind of what we're learning, I guess. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So I will continue to do dig into the research. You know, I've definitely heard that. I've listened to several podcasts about that. Um, I follow a couple of people on Instagram that you know are are specifically you know uh, keto followers because of epilepsy and whatnot. And so I've always been aware of that, but never really done a lot of research myself. So I'm going to get into that a little more. Well, I think you ended up I don't know it's like episode a long time ago. I don't know what number it was, but you had mentioned I think it was a user or I'm sorry a uh, reviewer that had sent in something that said that her child had been on a ketogenic diet for years. Mm-hmm because of seizures yes. and then she decided why haven't I tried this just for my own health mm-hmm. reasons I think wasn't that yeah. about a yep. summary of that yep so um so that's you know and Lily is Lily's been gluten-free and dairy-free for a long time I figured kind of those things out early on with her that where they were definitely not good for her um but I wouldn't you know so for the most part I would say she's uh, she's ketogenic but not real strict mm-hmm. so I'm going to get definitely more serious about making sure that she has got lots of those anti-inflammatory, you know, brain healing fats, uh, good fats. We're going to really saturate her. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, Pun intended. <laughs> well, thanks for listening to our family update. Yes. Yeah, so today. we won't talk too much. We've had lots of things, you know, Thanksgiving was great. We've had lots of, uh, we did Thanksgiving here. We were so thankful to have Lily home. And so the family came here. And so we've had, uh, you know, lots of great things that happened in the last uh, couple of weeks because my last week's podcast was my interview with Chris Irvin. So if you guys have not heard that one, um, you need to go back and listen to that. He is just a, a wealth of knowledge in the keto world and it was a great interview with him but um so yeah so we've had a lot of great things going on but we'll just uh cut to the chase and get right to the show this week so like bacon turkey <laughs> oh yeah that's right i don't know how many people saw my my turkey bacon bacon yeah. turkey so i i did do a uh i made this amazing turkey so we got our turkey from the farm like we usually do so it's a free range you know turkey from this wonderful organic well they're not certified organic but we know what the turkeys are eating and they're not getting any gmo feed and all that stuff so 
Um, anyway, big, I got a 16 pound turkey. It was a big, big boy and uh, was so tasty. My family just raved about how good that turkey was, but he was slathered in bacon butter. That's right, folks, you heard it, bacon butter. So I had blended bacon and butter and herbs and uh, salt. And first I brined him overnight. And then I took all of that bacon butter goodness and rubbed it all underneath the skin, all over the skin, um, the outside of the skin as well, the inside of the bird. Um, and then literally put a weave of bacon all over him and baked him and roasted him in the oven. And yeah. it was yummy. I can attest as a taste tester officially, it was an excellent <laughs> delicious dinner and actually the boys kept even you know usually that leftover day one or two they kind of done mm -hmm. they ate every yeah single well, bite of your it. brother and sister and your mom yeah. and um you know everybody said it was the best turkey they had ever had and then my son my oldest son um told me like two or three days later he was still eating on the turkey he's like mom this was like the best turkey ever so it was awesome. So if you guys have not seen that, you need to check that out. I've got pictures on my uh, Instagram and Facebook of that uh, bacon turkey and turkey bacon. I don't know what you call it. But anyway, it was really good. And uh, the recipe is in the show notes to not last week's episode, but episode 19, I believe. And I talked about um, how to get through the holidays being keto. Well, I am totally uh, enjoying the uh, dinners that you're putting together and all the meals. So whatever you're doing, keep it up. All right. Awesome. I will. Okay. Um, well, let's get to the first listener question today. Uh, this was someone, um, Jenny B. Uh, so hi, Jenny B. She submitted this through my website. And her question, her subject is painkillers. And the message is, hi, Jessica. Thank you so much for your podcast. I love the information you so thoughtfully provide. Thank you, Jenny. Can you go over the subject of painkillers? Keto helps, turmeric helps, but nothing seems to help a headache or cramps like good old ibuprofen. How dangerous is it? Can you offer suggestions or alternatives? Thank you. Okay, this is a great question, and I think a lot of people have questions about um, painkillers and taking medication and what we should do um, if we're trying to, to live a more holistic life and and not take medications. I totally get that. I'm, I definitely try not to as well. So, um, let me just start by telling you that, yes, she did say keto helps and it really does. Absolutely. Um, I know for me, I used to get migraine headaches all the time, like debilitating, horrible migraine headaches. And if you are a migraine headache, headache sufferer, sufferer, then you completely know where I'm coming from. Like, you, it hurts to even lay your head on the pillow. You can't see any light, you know, let there be no noise anywhere. Um, nauseating. I mean, horrible. And I suffered with those most of my life um, and have had no headaches whatsoever since becoming keto. So um, there are lots of things that can trigger headaches. It's not, you know, it, it, it's not just... Um, like a muscle pain or something like that. Um, I mean, it's an inflammatory response to something going on in your body. And so um, there can be, you know, it definitely can be very painful. It's annoying. There's a lot of reasons that it could be. So it, it can be kind of frustrating to try to figure it out. And then of course she mentioned, mentions cramps again with cramping and your 
time of the month, uh, that's not, a lot of women think that that's a natural thing and you should have a lot of cramping and truthfully you should not. Um, if you are suffering from a lot of cramping or PMS or heavy bleeding, stuff like that, then you definitely have some hormonal imbalances going on. So that also brings me to the headache. Uh, one of the headache issues could be hormonal imbalances. That is quite often a cause of headaches. And so getting uh, your hormones straightened out and getting those right can definitely help to eliminate the headaches. And if you're having cramping and you're having headaches, then that would point me to believe that you probably have some hormonal imbalances that need to get straightened out. But first, let me just um, address her question directly. So she says, um, can you go over the subject painkillers? Um, how dangerous is it? Okay, so um, there are lots, lots of information you can find online about some of the dangers of, of taking uh, any over-the-counter pain medications. So... Um, most over-the-counter pain medications are that people think of are like Tylenol, ibuprofen, you know, aspirin, those types of things. Um, you know, acetaminophen, that's Tylenol. So um, they're also referred to as NSAIDs. That's uh, N-S-A-I-D-S. So that stands for non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug. So there are a, she asked, um, you know, what are the dangers? Are there any dangers in taking them? There are lots of dangers depending on who you are and what you've got going on. Um, probably the most common issues is they create some issues in your gut. So anything that you take and has to be, you know, is absorbed into your digestive system has the potential of causing issues and NSAIDs are no, uh, exception to that. They can cause ulcers. They can cause bleeding. They can cause uh, dysregulation in your gut microbiome. So there's all kinds of issues with that. If you have any kind of history of heart disease or cardiac issues, you want to be careful with them as well. Any kind of blood pressure issues, they can cause renal problems. If you take them for um, any kind of extended period of time, or if you have any kind of renal impairments, they can cause issues with that. So I know, like Jenny said, there is really like nothing that you can take that will kick, you know, pains, but as quickly as like taking one of these anti-inflammatory drugs. I mean, that's why we do it, right? It's quick, it's easy, and we don't have to think about it. And we just pop the pill and pain goes away and we move on. We can, you know, we don't have to be slowed down. We continue doing what we're doing. But it is kind of interesting when you actually learn the mechanism behind why they actually work and what happened. So let's take a look at that real fast. So in order to get these drugs to actually work at stopping this inflammatory response, what they do is they stop the conjugation of fatty acids, which keeps us from being able to produce prostaglandins. So in the instance of aspirin, for example, it stops the arachidonic acid production, which causes us to not be able to produce the inflammatory prostaglandin. That sounds like not that big of a deal. It's inflammatory, so we wanna stop it. But the issue is that it also stops the production of the anti-inflammatory prostaglandin, which is what is necessary in our body's own healing process. Our bodies must first inflame something to heal it before it anti-inflames. So that's why it, it will in, has an inflammatory response before it calls on the anti-inflammatory response.
So when we look at the case of NSAIDs and steroids, they have a similar issue to aspirin, is that with all three substances, they all three inhibit PG-1 and PG-3. So those are, we have different sets of prostaglandins. And the aspirin and NSAIDs also inhibit PG-2. So we are stopping three of our four prostaglandin productions anytime we take any of these NSAIDs or steroids um, for an anti-inflammatory thing. The problem with that is, is that when we stop our bodies from producing the prostaglandin necessary in this inflammatory, anti-inflammatory process, we have to remember that we are also stopping other things from happening because prostaglandins are also responsible for cell communication, dilating our bronchial tubes, increasing blood flow to the kidneys, and just basically overall homeostasis within our body. So with a substance like prostaglandins that are responsible for so many processes in our body, I don't think we want to go knocking out three of the four sources. So what we have to think about when we have a headache or we have a, a part on our body that's hurting or an injury or something like that, we need to think about like what is the underlying cause. So we're definitely a nation of of people and and healthcare providers in general who are all about taking a pill to fix whatever's going on. So if you have a if you have cramping and it's you know and you think man every month I have to take uh, Midol or or Aleve or whatever you're taking ibuprofen because my cramping is so bad every month that I just I have to take this medication the real question that you should be trying to get to the bottom of is why am I having the cramping this badly that my that I'm that I'm having this pain reaction? Like why am I having this inflammation? You know, if you're getting headaches, same thing. Why am I getting the headache? What's causing this? And because there is an underlying cause. It is not normal to have that that pain, that inflammation. That it's it's um it's caused by something. It's caused by something not being right and that's your body's response to it and trying to help heal you and fix you. Um, so, so that's the first, so that's the first thing I guess that I would be trying to get to the bottom of is just, you know, what, what is the cause? What's, what's going on? What's causing this inflammatory response and how can I try to correct it? Um, so there, there could be a lot of reasons for that. Like I said, uh, diet is a huge one. Hormones are huge, which really is is part of diet because if your diet's off, your hormones could be really off. But one is, but she had also asked about what are some of the um, other things that you can take. Are there some natural remedies or some other suggestions? Actually, she said, what are off other suggestions or alternatives? So um, I made a little list of some suggestions and alternatives that you could take instead of, I think you should still work on getting to the bottom of it and try to figure out what's causing these things to happen. But in the meantime, instead of taking these, these over-the-counter painkillers, there are some other things that you can do. So she, I think that she mentioned, um, let me go back to her. Does she, yes, yeah, she does. She says, um, can you go over? She says keto helps, turmeric helps. So yes. So on the top of my list is turmeric. So that is one thing that she is trying uh, that she has tried. So turmeric contains the compound curcumin, which that is the compound in turmeric that gives it the orange flavor. The not flavor, sorry, the orange color. I was um, hoping it tasted like orange. <laughs> that would be better, right? So, um, so anyway, so turmeric con contains that. Um, that 
also that curcumin also helps to protect our bodies from like free radicals and and damage from free radicals so it's really good for that but it's also a good anti-inflammatory now the only thing that i would say is if you are suffering from any kind of gallbladder issues i wouldn't i would avoid turmeric um, however for most people if you don't have any gallbladder issues you should be fine with taking turmeric um, some people don't, you can eat it in your food. Um, it's a spice that that's a great way to do it. If you don't like the taste or you don't like, you know, you don't like putting it in your food, you can get capsules that you can take. And actually one that we use is from Thorn Research and it's called Mariva. We do the Mariva, um, 500 SF, which is the soy free. And it has a, um, it has a blend of, of ingredients but basically it's a it's a curcumin um blend like that's that's what it is so it's an anti-inflammatory um helps with pain that kind of thing um another one that you could do is called willow bark so um this willow bark is is an herb and it contains um it's called salicin which is similar to an ingredient like that this the synthetic version of that is in bear so like bear aspirin uh, it is good for headaches, inflammation, like that type of thing. You could also try kava kava, and that is a root. So it's the kava kava root, again, an herb. You can do that in a tincture. A tea is a traditional way to do kava kava root and or a powder. And then you can also get it in capsules. You can find the kava kava capsules all over, pretty much any vitamin shop, online, Amazon, all that type of thing. Uh, St. John, St. John's wort, a lot of people have heard of that. That is really good for inflammation caused by things like arthritis. So that helps with that a lot. Um, let's see, valerian root, that is really good for like muscle cramps and spasms. So if you're having an issue with cramping during that time of the month, valerian root might be something to try. Um, another good thing is if you've got swelling or headaches, a cold pack, like a, like an ice pack or just a cold pack on your forehead might be, a, a, that might help offer you some relief from that. Um, arthritis or joint pain is really good to do with ice as well. Um, let's see. And then some of the other kind of alternative things, I've talked about these on previous podcasts, but acupuncture. I cannot say enough good things about acupuncture. And I know Derek would agree with that. Yeah, I think uh, that we got to get the doctor on here on your show yeah, sometimes. He said him. he wants to come on your show, but uh, I had some massive shoulder pain. I, and actually, you know, I've played volleyball for, I'm going to guess, 21 years now. Mm -hmm. And I've played almost every week for 21 years. And Plus, actually, that was just in the organized volleyball. I played several years before that, too. Mm -hmm. So uh, anyway, uh, I wasn't a professional athlete or anything, but I just really enjoy it. And my shoulder, my right shoulder just started hurting so bad. And like every, and then it became my left shoulder, and my right shoulder was fine, but then it was like six months. And uh, make a quick story short, um, I, or long story short, <laughs> I ended up going uh, to this acupuncture guy that Jesse recommended and within about three visits, I had zero pain and I still have zero pain. Mm -hmm. And I, I was thinking surgery. Like mm -hmm. I thought, 
gosh, I don't know what's going on in there, but it's getting worse. And even the chiropractor. I was going to say, didn't our chiropractor yeah, tell yeah, you yeah, that yeah, would be the next yeah, step? Yeah, so she, he kept saying, well, you might have bursitis and all this stuff. And I thought, no, I, I, I kind of, where there's a will, there's a way. I don't, <laughs> I, I keep denying medical stuff until it goes away. So um, anyway, long story short, uh, it actually. That's a great plan. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm, 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 I, like most men, I avoid all doctors at all costs until I absolutely have to go. So uh, having you in the house is, is nice because I get a little diagnosis here. Uh, I heard a funny uh, thing yesterday. They said a uh, prescription without diagnosis is malpractice. So hmm. people that go around telling people what to do without really knowing yeah, all that's the... that's funny. Anyway, so my, my solution may have been as simple as the acupuncture. We also do the infrared sauna mm-hmm. here at the house. So I know yeah. that's on your list. Yeah, here. that's a big one. So the acupuncture, I would really recommend that if you... Are um, have like a specific uh, pain, like like knee pain. So he went for the shoulder pain, and the reason I recommended that he do that is I had a biking accident this past summer, which is so crazy. You never think that you're gonna like actually get hurt when you're out riding bikes. And we were out with the family just a, a Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening bike ride, and um, I hit the wrong brake on my bike, like. I guess I hit the front brake. I don't know. I must never hit it. It locked up. It totally locked up. And I literally, but I was right in front of the driveway. I mean, I, I was barely rolling on this bike already because I was getting ready to turn into our driveway. Mm-hmm. But I literally just went over top of the handlebars. And I mean, it was a really bad wreck. Um, but anyway, I really messed up my knee. And so in order to try and help heal my knee, I did acupuncture for the first time. And it totally took care of my knee. I mean, my knee was messed up. I mean, it was so bad that for like a week or two, I had a really hard time even sleeping. So anyway, so I sent him to do that because of how good it was. So I can't recommend acupuncture enough. Um, infrared sauna, like Derek said, that's huge. Um, mine is the far infrared and the near infrared. And I think that's super important to get that um, to get that spectrum of the rays. But that is infrared saunas promote um, cell turnover and cell regrowth. So when you're trying to heal some injury or uh, you have some swelling or some something going on in a joint or even a headache, uh, my son, I know Parker, every time he's starting to feel not so good or he's got a headache, he feels like he's got a headache coming on, he'll say, Mom, I'm going to go down and sit in the sauna. And he always says he feels better well, when Well, and comes even out. like, you know, the pain from, uh, I had a sore throat the other mm-hmm. day. My voice is still not perfect. I know I sound like the late night radio DJ here, but that's a, that's an enhanced uh, version. But I have not taken any pain medication or any kind of cold remedies or anything other than infrared sauna and some essential oils at night. And you know what's funny, since we're talking about this, yeah. you, he actually, so we're not completely anti-medication. I mean, if we, if you have to take it, there are some times that you're like, okay, listen, I just got to be able to breathe so I can sleep tonight. So whatever that's, you know, you do what you got to do. So we do have some Mucinex on hand. And so he was like the other day, he's like, man, I, I just think I might have to take it. And I'm like, okay, well, let's, let's look at it. So I get the package out and I'm like, oh, this one has acetaminophen in it. And he's like, well, what's that and I'm like well it's an inset and it's a you know it's Tylenol basically and I hate to have you take this because it's gonna you know oh I'm just like I hate I hate that it's gonna do this to your body like I know what it's gonna do to you and he's like you know what I, I'm just not gonna take it so we went upstairs and I said okay I have so my favorite brand of and I'm not a rep I don't sell it nothing like that but my favorite brand of essential oils is doTERRA so I have they have a blend called breathe and anytime any of us has any kind of upper respiratory thing going on, I'm always like, 
you're rubbing breathe all over my kids and everything. So I told Derek when we went to bed, I said, hey, how about some of this breathe? So I just dropped like three, four drops on his chest. He just rubbed that all over his chest, around his neck, um, around, I, I always have my kids um, put it around the backs of their ears, um, you know, behind your ears and up your neck. And he said he slept really well. And then you did it again last night yeah. and you sound a whole lot better. Yeah, I do sound better. I mean, so I think the biggest thing is I didn't have any throat pain. Mm-hmm. And so we're on the t- topic of pain today. I think, you know, that's a big one is, you know, if you're in pain, obviously you want to find relief. If all these things aren't going to work, you got to do what you got to do. But if you can try these things out first and mm-hmm. there's lots of great options to try, I definitely think it's worth having like someone like Jesse here, uh, you know, as a as a coach, as a mentor, as a uh, advice uh, offerer, you know, if if you need something, these are the kind of sources that you should be going to, and people like Jesse out there in the in the uh, health and wellness world that can find alternate ways to to uh, help you. I mean, this is I'm I'm just happen to be very fortunate that right next door in my house here, Jesse is uh, is able to help me out. So I know there's a lot of you guys listening here that may not have someone in your home that gives you this, but maybe go back and listen to a past podcast or uh, go on her uh, website or something like that. You could, you know, definitely get some resources. Yeah. And so just to kind of continue along some of those other types of things that you can do, I would say massage is really good. If you have the time, if you can afford it to go get a massage, I like re- reflexology massages. Um, we try to do those pretty regularly. I would say two to four times a month, we try to get massages and they don't always have to be an hour or an hour and a half long. I mean, you can go for a quick half hour, um, you know, like maybe shoulder, neck and head massage. We've got a place literally like across the street from where we live and they do, um, reflexology. So typically Derek will do like a whole body. And while I'm doing the reflexology, they work on your feet and hands and that is just amazing. And it's really, not only does it help in the moment if you've got pain, but it helps with prevention. Um, another thing to do is yoga and just stretching, deep breathing, meditation. Those are all super, super good. And essential oils, like we were just talking about, um, some of the best essential oils for headaches and pain like that are going to be like your peppermint, your lavender oil, rose oil, things like that. Um, you can put, so peppermint improves circulation and lavender will reduce muscle tension. So if you've got a headache and you're dealing with those types of things, you could use both of them or one of them and try, you know, see which one helps you the most. Um, again, like we were saying, if you've got a good place to rub, rub all of that would be your chest because you're going to breathe that in your neck, the back of your neck, especially if you're dealing with like a tension headache, you could put it on your temples, rub it into your temples. And with both lavender oil and peppermint, I do not always use a a carrier oil with those. However, you might want to start using them with a carrier oil if you're not familiar with essential oils and how you respond to them. So a carrier oil could be almond oil, coconut oil, um, uh, jojoba oil, uh, avocado oil, I mean, pretty much any oil like that. And what you do is you just put a little bit of that oil in the palm of your hand, a couple of drops of the essential oil into that, and then kind of uh, mix that around. And then you can use that to rub it on your body. It just helps a little bit for, um, 
for the absorption and for your skin irritation. Like a lot of, some people are a little more sensitive than others. And then um, the final thing that I would say is, uh, Derek actually mentioned this, is walking or some light exercise. Now, if you've got a headache, you're probably not going to feel like doing some exercise, like any kind of um, you know, like squats and stuff, but taking a, a walk, if you feel like you could get out and take a walk, that can be very helpful. And actually, um, I'm going to talk about grounding, uh, as kind of like a tip at the end of this podcast, but that is, a, that would be a huge deal. So if you're in a place where you can get outside and you can be barefoot on the ground, that can be really, really helpful with cramping headaches, um, anything like that, that you're dealing with, um, some kind of, uh, you know, inflammation like that grounding can be super helpful. Okay. So hopefully that helps answer your question, Jenny. And thank you so much again for sending that in. That was a great question. Okay. Um, let's see. Okay. I have another question submitted through my website. This one is from Corinne. I believe that's how you pronounce it. She says, leaky gut and diabetes. Hi, first I want to thank you for your podcast. I love listening to you and your husband. Aw, she likes you, honey. Yeah, I have finally got a fan <laughs> out there. It only took 20 episodes. But... That's not true. There's been, there's, there's people that said they like listening to you. So I am a type it's 1 like diabetic. salt and pepper, right? <laughs> right. I'm a type 1 diabetic, diagnosed at 11. I'm now 36. And I started the keto diet on July 14th. 2017. My A1C went from 7.0 to 6.3 and all of my blood work came back better than ever. Yay. She says, I love this way of eating. None of my doctors even su ever suggested a low carb diet and it's insane. And she has that in all caps. And I would just say that is totally insane. You have type one diabetes, which literally means that your beta cells have completely, they are completely unable to even make you can't even make insulin anymore, and they don't tell you to stop eating glucose that would require your body to have to make insulin. Okay. Doesn't that, I mean, that's mind-blowing, really. Well, I mean, I, that kind of gets us back to the uh, episode where we talked about the veterinarian. Yes. And the first thing they ask you when you bring in your right. animal. What, are, what are they eating? Yeah. But they never ask a person that. Like, I'll bet our doctors never even said, do you eat a lot of carbs? Do you think you should cut those back? Like, I mean, I'll bet they never even asked the question. Well, and we said that about Lily this we weekend. We did. Uh, like that. Oh, my gosh. You guys, that's such a good point. That, okay, so we have this little girl in the hospital. We are air cared to the hospital. They lose her. She's on a ventilator. She's, you know, all this crazy stuff, right? She's having unexplained seizures. And they run like 20 labs on Yes, her. they run an um, unbelievable amount of labs. She had MRIs, two CAT scans, two sonograms, two MRIs. And these are good doctors. Yes, they're good. good. These are the best children's hospital doctors in the country, arguably. So, so we're not like disparaging anyone. No, no. Here, I mean, I'm just, just saying this process. is this is the process. This is our normal medical process. She had all these different labs drawn, tons of blood work done. I mean, we haven't seen the whole medical bill yet. It's going to be outlandish. Well, and through, not. yeah, but through that entire process and all the crazy stuff that they're digging into to try to figure this out, not one time did they ask, like, so how many Diet Cokes a day does Lily drink? Right. So we were talking about it after she came home and we were laying <laughs> in bed one night talking about this. And I said, Derek, how crazy is that? I, I mean, this little girl is like, 
666 has all these things going on, unexplained seizures starting, and they don't even ask us what we feed her. I mean, fortunately for her, she does get the good stuff. But Ugh. let's just say that if they're like, oh, yeah, by the way, we, you know, she drinks Diet Cokes all Right. Day like, what she... if we were like, well, she's a really picky eater. So all she'll eat basically is candy. And I mean, she just loves her Diet Cokes. Doritos. Cokes. Right. Like, they didn't even ask. I know. Like, so anyway, that's a little sidebar. Here, it was but. crazy. And and she was so low on electrolytes. When when she came in, she was not, because they did blood work immediately when they when she came in. And so they did talk to us about that. But her electrolytes went like like crazy, like dangerously low. And sodium. Yeah. And sodium and phosphorus. And she had they had to do all these crazy things and put her on all these drips for these electrolytes. But anyway, you would think that they would just be thinking, maybe her diet isn't so great or something like maybe there's a reason that she's got so such that, low electrolytes so that fired us up a little bit yeah but, so yeah. we were like that's crazy so you know like derek said lily eats excellent she's one of the best eaters in this house but that is just insane to me that they did not even ask and, and some things are out of your dietary control we right right that, right yeah. but you would just think let's rule that out right. first Let, let's like let's sure, just make yeah. sure what if maybe she's got some severe reaction to something that she's eating they didn't even ask we know, i mean we were there intensive care for two three days for three days yeah, crazy. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We didn't get we didn't get to neurology till Monday. Almost four days, and they never once asked about her diet. So, so it was crazy. <laughs> but they did offer holistic services, but they didn't come. But they never came. We said, <laughs> yeah, we'll take that because we thought we'll talk to you know we'll see what holistic doctor or whatever comes in, and but then they never showed up. So that's all right. <laughs> onward. Okay, onward. So she says, I have several questions for you. The first question I have is about leaky gut. What is it? Why do dia or why do diabetics have to worry about it? How do I avoid getting it? I have been feeling extremely nauseous over the last few weeks and cannot figure out why. My second question is about tender breasts. Is it normal to have tender breasts for three weeks out of every month when you start this way of eating? I heard it has something to do with hormones, but ouch. Thank you for everything that you do, and I truly appreciate all the information you share on every week. Keto on. Okay, awesome. Thanks, Corinne, uh, for, Corin, for your... Um, for writing in and your questions. These are great questions. So um, let me just kind of start at the beginning. So yes, um, first question is about leaky gut. What is it? And why do diabetics have to worry about it? And how can I avoid getting it? Okay, so um, probably being a type one diabetic, you probably already have leaky gut. Um, it's not a for sure, but it's a probably. Uh, leaky gut is actually um, associated with most uh, autoimmune issues, autoimmune diseases, and chronic illnesses. Um, we've talked about this in previous episodes uh, about leaky gut and how this kind of plays into uh, diet, nutrition, and health, but let me just kind of go over it really quickly. So the bottom line is that leaky gut is just when, so your gut walls the your the walls in your intestine have like a they're almost like a net so they are permeable they need to be because that's how very small molecules like vital nutrients and things and minerals can get through the gut lining and into our bloodstream like we need some things to be able to get through this net but unfortunately what happens in leaky gut 
is for for different reasons that I'll talk about uh, in, a, in a few minutes, but for different reasons, we those tight junctions, that the junctions that hold together this intestinal lining can be pulled apart or break apart and allow larger food particles to get through or bacteria to get through, which is obviously a problem. Like we can't have those things happening. And when it does happen, it creates an, an immune response in our bodies because they're not supposed to be there. So our body is smart and it says, whoa, you know, we're not supposed to have this food floating around in here. So it creates um, an autoimmune response and it attacks that uh, that foreign, what it deems as a foreign body. And so if that continues to happen over and over and over, that's what can lead to these autoimmune um, issues and these autoimmune stuff. So the bottom line is, is that once our tight junctions get broken apart or pulled apart, that's when we have what's called leaky gut. So in someone specifically that would be potentially sensitive to gluten, when they have gluten, our gut cells release a hormone-like substance. It's called zonulin. And when this zonulin is released, it um, actually breaks apart. It's a protein, and it actually breaks apart these junctions and allows the gluten to go through. So that is where um, it's actually the most common substance for it's the main culprit in creating leaky gut. Okay. So then she asks like, how would I know that I have leaky gut? Like what are the signs that these things would be going on? Because maybe you do have a gluten sensitivity and you don't realize it, or you're just not sure what to look for. Or maybe you have some other reaction to other things that you're eating or some bacteria that's getting through your gut lining and you're just not really sure what you're looking for. Well, really, there are just so many different signs and symptoms of leaky gut that a lot of people just overlook because they think it's just normal, that these are just normal things that everybody deals with and or that they're caused by other uh, issues or things going on. So then they just kind of overlook it or they don't, they certainly don't think about it being something that could be going on in their gut. But many of those things are, if you get frequent headaches, that's definitely a sign of leaky gut. Um, let's see, skin irritation, skin allergies. So if you have like acne, rosacea, eczema, psoriasis, like any of those types of things, those are not issues with their, with your skin. Those are issues with your gut. And so you need to figure out why are you having those things? Is it a sensitivity to a food that you're eating? Is it leaky gut? Is it, you know, any of these things, speaking of food sensitivities, that's a sign of leaky gut. If you have food sensitivities, if you have a gluten sensitivity or you react poorly to really just about any food that you eat, it doesn't have to be something that's often thought of as like a bad food. It could be any food that your body has recognized um, as a, a bad thing and has set up a, an autoimmune reaction to it because it has been allowed to creep through your uh, intestinal lining into your bloodstream and your body has then now recognized that specific food as, as a threat, as an invader, something that shouldn't be in your body. So 
even just a, a totally innocuous food could be that. Any kind of sinus issues, like if you're having frequent colds or you have allergies, like when people say, oh, well, that's just my allergies acting up, that can be leaky, brought on by leaky gut. Joint issues, rheumatoid arthritis, fibromyalgia, um, adrenal fatigue, being tired all the time, thyroid issues like Hashimoto's, hypothyroidism, Graves, uh, colon issues like constipation or diarrhea, either way. Uh, like irritable bowel syndrome, um, any kind of symptoms like that, that could be that could be telling you you have leaky gut. So really, any and all of those things, and most people just, like I said, you just don't think of those as, you know, those are just normal. You just think, oh, I just have a headache, you know, whatever. It's not, you don't think that it's linked to something so much bigger. So um, according to the Journal of Diabetes, there's a strong body of evidence pointing to leaky gut syndrome as, the num as a number one or major cause of autoimmune diseases, including type 1 diabetes. So I wanted to point that out to uh, Corinne that um, type 1 diabetes is definitely doesn't get away from this uh, leaky gut. It's, it's less about that you have to worry about leaky gut after you have type 1 diabetes. It's more about that leaky gut very well is probably linked to the reason that you are dealing with the type 1 diabetes. For anyone who doesn't understand what type 1 diabetes is exactly or what causes it, so it is actually an autoimmune disease and a lot of people recognize that type 2 diabetes is kind of referred to as like adult onset diabetes and type 1 typically happens uh, in childhood or earlier on in life although it's starting to become more and more common that people are being diagnosed with type 1 diabetes later in life so that's kind of a new development as well but um, so autoimmune disease and it is, it's where a person's pancreas stops producing insulin, which insulin is the hormone that enables us to, it is like the key that unlocks the cell that allows us to give the cell energy from the food that we are bringing in. So insulin is, is uh, secreted anytime that our blood sugar rises to help kind of bring that back down by using that glucose as uh, energy for our cells. But what happens if you have type 1 diabetes is your beta cells, which produce that insulin in your pancreas, they are destroyed because your body has attacked those beta cells and, and destroyed them. So they can no longer produce insulin. So that is how it is an autoimmune disease. So that's why I'm saying, um, explaining that that leaky gut has actually been linked to being the cause as to why that process would happen in the first place. A few more of the other factors that could be involved in leaky gut for you. We kind of went over the gluten and zonulin and how uh, that will open up areas in your gut. There are other grains. Lots of people react to grains in general. Um, now, I know that this is a keto podcast, and probably most of you that are listening are not eating grains, but if you are, or you know people that are, or you were a person that was, you're kind of putting this together and thinking, okay, I've got some of these symptoms or some of these signs, and maybe I've been dealing with leaky gut, and maybe that's what's going on with me, and you know, maybe I need to get this figured out. So, um, okay, so the, so the grains, those can be huge uh, problems. A lot of times we are suffering 
came from the issues with the lectins that come along with grains. These are like the natural kind of insecticides that are present in plants that kind of helps them to survive. So that causes issues for us because these, um, these lectins, they bind to the carbohydrates that are on the surface of our cells, and they have a particular fondness for the epithelial cells. And those are the cells that line the walls of our digestive system. So you can see how if we're eating a lot of lectin um, producing foods, then those can be damaging our cell, you know, the, the cell membranes, the linings of our gut. Dairy products can definitely lead to leaky gut and cause issues. You know, we've talked about this before, but at least 60% of people or more don't even produce lactase after childhood. So that is the enzyme needed to digest milk. So if we're not being able to digest that, then that can definitely be causing gut issues for us. Alcohol is one that causes um, issues for us. Antibi antibiotics in our food. So this is just like medications. When we are eating food that has antibiotics in it, that disrupts the balance of our gut bacteria, which is super important for being able to keep that um, gut permeability and impermeability intact for, for that to not become a problem. Just eating foods that are reactive for you in general. So these can be different for every person, which is why it's super important that you know your body, you know what feels best for you and you know what is causing you issues when you have things that cause you like any kind of bloating or, or issues, gas, that type of thing. That's not normal. And if you're eating things that are causing that, then that's telling you that you have some kind of a reactivity to that food. So common foods that have that are reactive for people are gluten, which we've talked about, and dairy. Uh, also would be soy, eggs, and corn. So there are also people that can be reactive to nightshades. So a lot of times if you're trying to heal gut issues, one of the first things we'll do is um, take out nightshades, which are like eggplants, potatoes, that type of thing. Uh, we also will do like a low FODMAP diet, which those are carbohydrates that cause unhealthy fermentation and a bad bacteria buildup. So sometimes those can be trigger foods for people. Um, other triggers can be chronic constipation, diarrhea, PPIs, which are the protein, proton pump inhibitors. Those are the medications for acid reflux, and um, that reduces the normal acid balance in your stomach. And I've talked about this before, but the problem, the biggest problem with this is number one, it is not even addressing the, the, the issue that it's supposed to be addressing, which is acid reflux. Acid reflux is caused by low stomach acid, not high stomach acid. But um, regardless, you this just adds to inflammation in your stomach, which and keeps the stomach acid low, so your food is not being properly digested and creates all kinds of issues when this happens. Like we've talked about before, it'll just sit and ferment in your stomach and this can lead to um, IBS, it can lead to SIBO, it, there's all kinds of issues. Medications can be responsible for, uh, for uh, leaky gut. Like pain medications, like we were talking about with Jenny's question, any of your NSAIDs or your non-steroidal anti-inflammatories like ibuprofen, we have 
that's been long documented that that has effects on your gut lining and that chronic use leads to ulcers and, and, you know, stomach ulcers, you can even get bleeding from them. Um, and that is even with as few uses as just twice a week. So think about, you know, the uncle or a parent that, you know, that has knee problems or has back pain and they're taking these NSAIDs, you know, once a day, twice a day or more. Um, antibiotics can cause irreversible damage to our guts. So when we all know that it takes us out of optimal bacterial balance when we take antibiotics, but, um, you know, they are anti-life, so they are killing the, the good bacteria as well as the bad bacteria in our guts. So that can obviously be an issue. Um, low bile acids can be a problem. So when we have a bile deficiency that can contribute to chronic diarrhea and constipation and of course, hormonal imbalances, because again, this goes back to the digestion. If we're not digesting properly, then that's going to throw everything out of whack. And then infections like candida, SIBO, H. pylori, parasite infections, all of those things inflame our gut and can cause damage and lead to intestinal permeability for sure. So again, it's just digestion is so, so important and making sure that we get that right, that our digestive tract is right, that we don't have any of these things going on and we're keeping our digestive tract as healthy as possible because really, you know, our guts are at the root of so much in our bodies. You know, I dare to say almost everything in our bodies we can trace back to our gut health. Okay, so now that we've kind of just really dove into the whole leaky gut thing and and type 1 diabetes and how that all comes together, her next question was... Let's see. She says, I've been feeling extremely nauseous over the last few weeks and cannot figure out why. My second question is about tender breasts. Is it normal to have tender breasts for three weeks out of every month when you start this way of eating? I've heard it has something to do with hormones, but ouch, thank you for everything you do. Okay. So I would say, um, yes, I would definitely suspect that it has something to do with hormones much in the way we've been talking about how all of this is linked and how your hormones are so affected by leaky gut and, um, you already know that you have some hormone deficiencies and some hormonal issues and some autoimmunity just through the type one diabetes and, uh, the inability to produce the hormone insulin. And so we already know that that's an issue. And I, the very first thing that I would look at is I would start with digestion in general. Um, I would be looking at the fact that we have type one diabetes going on, that we have some nausea issues going on and that we have this tenderness in the breast, which typically is going to indicate most likely that there is an estrogen dominance at play here. Um, estrogen dominance is typical for, uh, where just estrogen in general, a lot of estrogen in general is typical when we're dealing with uh, tender or swelling breasts. So leaky gut is definitely linked to estrogen dominance because we have our, our 
guts cannot effectively escort out estrogen metabolites when we have a leaky gut. So instead of escorting them out like it's supposed to, it stays in circulation. The estrogen metabolites stay in circulation in our systems, and that keeps our estrogen levels high. And so if our progesterone levels don't come up to meet our estrogen levels, then we're going to become estrogen dominant. And that creates a problem, a big problem, can create many problems, but it is definitely an issue. So estrogen and progesterone for women stay in a balance and they need to stay in a pretty good balance to support normal menstrual function, promote our moods and, and just, um, calmness and be our ability to deal with stress and encourages fat burning helps reduce fluid retention all of that type of stuff but when they're out of balance it does the opposite so i really would believe that if we can get working on her digestion we would probably be able to see a lot of these things change um, the nausea could be from anything but uh, likely that could be um, a, again, another issue that she's seen from the leaky gut, just a syndrome of leaky gut. She could have, um, a food sensitivity or reactivity to food like we were just talking about. Um, so I would definitely be looking at that. Some of the ways that I would be working to heal the leaky gut, and I think that she would see these things probably um, eliminate or improve greatly could be the... Um, first of all, avoiding the foods that we just talked about and the things that, um, you know, could cause these reactivities. Also, another thing that I see people do specifically on the ketogenic way of eating is eating the same foods over and over again. And I have been guilty of this as well, but it is important to know that we can develop a sensitivity to foods if we're eating them all the time. So, um, my husband, for instance, loves almonds and he used to eat almonds all the time, almonds and cashews. And he would eat them every day and several of them a day. And when he, we had our functional testing done to see what food sensitivities we maybe were dealing with, he had food sensitivities to almonds and cashews and had to stop eating them. They were causing some reactions in him. So anyway, uh, so that's one thing you can just start easily by doing that. Try rotating the foods that you eat. Don't eat the same things over and over. Um, I don't know what Corinne's ketogenic diet looks like, but I have definitely come across people who have been doing keto before um, signing up with a coach, and they feel that they need to follow this strict 20 to 30 grams of carbs a day, and they are, that means that they are severely limiting their vegetables, and they're focused on you know high fat, moderate protein, and they you know are are just really not bringing in any vegetables. And I think that totally that's going to really take you out of balance. You're not going to have a lot of fiber. You're going to have micronutrient deficiencies potentially. So um, I do not count my vegetable intake in my carbohydrate limits. So I always, you know, unless there's a, a specific reason otherwise that would be on an individual basis, I always encourage my clients to not count their vegetables in the carb intake. I want people to be eating huge amounts of vegetables. Um, I think it's super, super important. And especially for women, I think the fiber content that vegetables have are just super important for us to have. And we need to not be skipping on those. So I would uh, definitely up the vegetable intake if those have been restricted at all. 
And then another thing we were talking about was I was talking about the PPIs or the proton pump inhibitors and the acid reducers and why um, those are the wrong thing to do because most people, like literally most people, are actually deficient in HCL. And I have talked about this before in previous podcasts, but um, for most people, myself included, we actually need to boost our digestion. Um, most of our digestion, our digestive tracts are just not optimal. So, and that's due to many, many, many different reasons, some out of our control, some in our control, but I would probably look at supplementing with a betaine HCL pill before every meal. And I would probably be taking digestive enzymes with each meal as well, especially if you're not typically, if you were not typically a high fat eater, um, often we just do not have the proper digestive enzymes to be able to break that food down and absorb it well. And so that causes all kinds of issues as well and can also lead to leaky gut and, and different digestive issues. I think another great way that we can help to kind of get our guts in order and help our digestion. And another thing I would highly suggest that Corendu or anyone that is uh, has some of these similar issues going on would definitely be to make sure that you are taking a probiotic and just trying to make sure you're balancing that gut microbiome. It's super important that we have a good balance of bacteria in there. So you can do that by taking a good, maybe soil-based probiotic, or you can also just make sure you're getting lots of good fermented foods throughout the day. So some people really love like sauerkrauts or kimchi. And so those are really easy to add on to pretty much every meal of the day. You can add some of those in. That's a, a really easy way to help just kind of trigger the... Um, good bacteria to, to keep uh, producing and to basically that will help protect the lining of your gut. So that helps with that. And it also helps a lot with your digestion overall. And maybe my very favorite thing that I would tell you to eat uh, as far as foods go to help with your digestion and to help just protect your gut and keep everything functioning properly would be a bone broth. And I would really prefer that you make that on your own. I think that it is really easy to make. And you can find recipes all over the internet for that. Um, I have had, I've talked about it before and shared those recipes on previous podcasts, but that is um, just a really easy way to get all of the really uh, great collagen and gelatin out of a bone broth that really helps to strengthen and rebuild and protect the tissues of the lining of your gut wall. Okay, and really the last thing I wanted to kind of mention about this, another um, kind of little investigative thing I might would do if I was Corinne is I don't have the information about how much weight that she potentially has lost um, as she's since July as she started keto. Now, I know a lot of people potentially, um, especially if you had a lot of weight to lose, would lose 
potentially quite a bit of weight since July. Um, estrogen is actually stored in the fat tissue on our bodies. So one of the things I would definitely be looking at and I would take into account could be that as you are losing weight, if you're losing great deal of weight, that you could be releasing estrogen into your system. And that could also be mimicking the effects of being estrogen dominant and could definitely be giving her the issues that she is having as far as the tenderness and swelling of the breasts. So um, again, like I said, I don't know how much weight that she has lost, but that is definitely something that I would think about and could could definitely be playing a role in this um, kind of these issues that she's dealing with. Okay, so before I wrap this up, I think I've talked plenty enough about all of this, and I hope that you guys have hung in there with me and that this information has been helpful to everyone that's listening. But um, I wanted to leave you guys with some ideas to help heal leaky gut. If you're worried that you have leaky gut or you're now convinced that you do, or maybe you know that you do, maybe you've had a doctor tell you, yeah, I think you have symptoms of leaky gut, and that's probably what you're dealing with. Um, and even if you don't have leaky gut or you're not, you're not sure these things certainly are not going to hurt you. So, um, one of the first things, well, I talked about bone broth already as being a healing thing to eat. And that is definitely true. I would, I would recommend everybody, regardless of whether or not you think your digestion is good or bad or indifferent, that you drink uh, one to two cups of bone broth a day. I think it's super, super important for gut health, immunity, et cetera. Um, another really great supplement that you can take is L-glutamine. So L-glutamine is an amino acid, and it most of us know that it helps promote the growth of muscle. So a lot of people that uh, are kind of into fitness and working out, they know L-glutamine for that. But it is also super good for repairing and sealing the those tight junctions between the cells in your gut. So they can help to restore that gut barrier and kind of pull it all together. It also helps your body to produce glutathione. It's a building block for glutathione. So glutathione is basically the, it's known as like the mother of antioxidants. So um, we really, really need glutathione. It's super important for healing and for um, methylation and like every, for really every every system in our body, but um, L-glutamine is a major building block for that. So it can certainly help us with that. So I would start off with kind of a small dose of L-glutamine. And if you do well, then you can always up that. Some people do find that it's a little bit of a stimulate, a stimulating supplement for them. So if you're finding that it is stimulating you in any way or triggering anxiety or anything like that, then I would discontinue L-glutamine. But um, if you don't feel like you're having issues with that, then I think it's fine to take. You also get L-glutamine in bone broth and like grass-fed beef and stuff like that, but it's good to supplement with as well if you feel that you can handle it. Um, another good supplement to do is slippery elm bark. So this has been used for centuries in healing digestive issues and skin remedies, things like that. So that's an excellent um, source of supplementation for healing leaky gut. Another great one is curcumin. So we talked about this a little bit back in Jenny's question. So curcumin helps to uh, 
get down inflammation. So it will also do that in the gut. So uh, that is a really good one to take to help. So not only does it help with inflammation in other areas, but it can help with inflammation in your gut. So that's a good one. Another one that people don't talk a whole lot about, but is really good is aloe vera juice. So if I make a smoothie, I always put aloe vera gel or aloe vera juice in it. And so that is a really good, um, Uh, really good for coating your gut and helping with gut irritation. So just make sure if you get it, you are getting the food grade. It's 100% aloe vera gel or aloe vera liquid. You can get either one and don't get the juice that is flavored and sugared. You do not want that. So basically you can just add this to your smoothies. You can add it to soups. You can you know, however you want to use it, you can add it into stuff. You can just drink it straight up, however it works for you. But um, that should be a good one for you. So I think that's about all I've got as far as like helping to heal and kind of do those things. Actually, I want to mention one more thing. I don't want to leave this out. It's so, so important. And that is sleep. Getting proper sleep has a huge effect on your digestion and on your your gut in general, just everything. So it can definitely affect whether or not you end up with leaky gut. So getting proper sleep is really, really good and super important for us. And along those same lines, uh, we are going to talk about in just a minute, the tip that I have for you guys today about kind of relaxing and helping to eliminate some stress. And it's also going to help you tap into your parasympathetic nervous system, which is super important. And it is very powerful and has everything to do with our digestion and our guts. It's our rest and digest mode. So it's really, really important that not only are we getting good, adequate sleep, but that we are also spending some time really tapping into that parasympathetic system. So those are some thoughts and ideas that I have. I hope that some of that helps you and and maybe you can kind of do some investigative work and try to figure that out. So the last thing, and thanks again for writing in and and those questions, um, ladies, both of you today, that was uh, great. I'm sure there are lots of other people out there that had similar questions. So the very last thing that I wanted to share with you guys today, I alluded to it earlier in the podcast, is grounding. Um, It's also sometimes called earthing. And I will put a video out today, probably on my Facebook page, uh, a quick like grounding or, or earthing video to kind of give you, I'll make a fool of myself and show you guys a you know, me trying to do it outside, um, in my yard, which will be fun. I'm sure to try try and do that on, on camera. But, um, so it's, it's really good. It's very, very good thing to do. And it is a really great way to help you feel energized and just more centered and it works. And I know a lot of people think, oh, that's so like, you know, just woo woo, There's no, you know, that is not real science. That's just craziness. But there really is real science behind it. Um, There is science with earthing and grounding. We know for a fact what it does. It's not a mystery. So even though it may seem like too simple to really make a big difference, it really does. And I'd love for you guys to try this and just see how centered you feel. Just see kind of how much less stress you feel like you have when you're finished. 
It's huge for bringing stress levels down. So even if you have a hard time like meditating, you know, we really should be meditating every day. Everybody should be, even if it's just for five or 10 minutes, just take a few minutes of a break to, um, just to really tap into your parasympathetic nervous system. It's so important. We need to, you know, maybe five, 10 minutes of just deep breathing, maybe some prayer, um, just some gratitude, just to really try to connect um, to yourself and just, um, just, just the stress relieving benefits of that are huge. Um, and this is a really great way to get those same benefits. It would be great if you did this in addition to meditation, but if you're having a hard time doing the meditation, you could maybe do this alongside with it, alongside the meditation. It might give you an activity to do while you're doing your meditation that might help make it easier for you. I know for a lot of people, myself included, it's often really hard to just sit still for a few minutes and do nothing <laughs> and feel like you're getting any benefit from that, but you will get benefit, I promise. Um, but this is a really, this is a really good way. If you're having a hard time with that, then maybe you could just start out by doing some grounding or some earthing every day and just try to get it in that way. Now, if you're in a colder climate, it's going to be a little bit harder to do and you can buy grounding mats and things like that, that you can put inside your house, or you can get like moccasins that, um, don't have like synthetic bottoms to them. And that will also allow the electrons, uh, to come to pass through them. But basically, so research indicates that there are electrons from the earth and they have like an antioxidant effect that can protect our bodies from inflammation and many different health issues. So like I was talking about before with Jenny's question, um, grounding would be a really great way to even help if you're dealing with a headache, um, just to get outside and get the fresh air, take some deep breaths, and really try to connect and get grounded. So our earth maintains a negative electrical uh, potential on its surface. So when we're in direct contact with the ground, like, so if we're walking or sitting or even just laying down, then the earth's electrons are being conducted into our body. So it brings the same electrical potential as what's on the earth into us. So, um, when we are, we have direct contact with that, it is what is called grounding. It grounds our body. So it's, it, it is just, I really can't say enough good things about how it makes you feel and how centered and just calm you can feel after just a few minutes of trying to do some grounding. So um, what I'll show you in the video is basically the, a super easy way that you can do it. But one of the ways, probably the way I pretty much always do it, is I will just go out in the front yard and look a fool for all my neighbors to see. I'm sure they're used to it by now. But um, I go out in the front yard. I typically do this as well as a lot of times I'll do my meditation the same way while I'm waiting on my kids' bus to, to arrive. So my girls get off the bus. They ride two different buses and they get off about a half hour um, between the two of them. So I will do usually do like some grounding or meditation before one and then grounding or meditation before the other one gets there. So um, I'll just do that in my front yard. I can see the bus stop from my front yard. So I watch for the bus to come um, while I'm, you know, when I finish up doing this. But basically I'll just go out to do the grounding bare feet and I'll just walk out even if it's cold. I mean, if it's freezing, then I won't do it. But even if the weather's cold, as long as you can handle it, it's 
still fine. I mean, you're still going to get the same benefits. So I'll go out in bare feet and I will typically just kind of do some different, even yoga poses and, and on the ground, on the bare feet, bare ground, and just walk out there. You can do some, I like to do downward dogs. You can do a lot of those. It's a really great stretching and that gets your hands and your feet on the ground at the same time. So I like to do that. I will also a lot of times do downward dogs and then do um, like some warrior poses, or I will take a downward dog into some uh, push-ups. So you're kind of getting like a little mini workout, some good stretches and your grounding at the same time. And even better yet, if you can integrate your meditation with this, you know, there are no rules with meditation. If you find sitting still and meditating is better, great, you can do that, which you can still do grounding by just sitting on the ground or laying down. I like to lay down to do meditation a lot, so I will literally just lay in the grass. So you can do that. Um, But if you can integrate meditation or some deep breathing while you're doing yoga or um, just some stretches or whatever, that's great too. So however you can get it in, that's fine but you will definitely feel the benefits of doing this. And I think the more you do it, the more you're really gonna feel like how, you know, how good it makes you feel and just how relaxed and and just surprising to you. I believe it will be surprising to you how much it kind of takes the stress away and and just really helps you to feel um, kind of re-energized and re-centered. And it's just got a nice calming effect um, to doing it. So, um, okay. So I hope that helps you guys today. And I hope you got some good information um, from the podcast. And I guess that is about all I've got. I'm over an hour at this point. So I think we've talked enough (laughs) and, um, I will, I have a great guest coming on, um, that I will have for you guys next week. This, um, weekend, actually Thursday, I am heading out of town. Derek's going to go with me. We're, um, going to Washington DC. It is my first workshop weekend for my nutritional therapy association training. So um, be the first weekend away doing some of that and learning some um, nutritional therapy practitioner training things. So this will be pretty exciting, pretty fun. It's my first uh, workshop weekend, first time meeting my uh, any of my classmates in person. So that'll be exciting and meeting our instructors. So I'm very thankful to be able to be doing that this weekend. So I'll be gone uh, Thursday through Sunday doing that. And um And I am recording an episode tomorrow with an awesome guest that you guys are going to love. He is a keto MD and he's got a brand new book out and I'm going to tease you with that and we'll um, interview him tomorrow and then you'll hear him on next week's podcast. So I hope you guys are looking forward to that. It's going to be great. And so if you guys have more questions, more feedback, anything like that, that you would like to ask me, um, please feel free to write in. You can go to my website as always, Jessica, uh, let's see, jessicatai.com. And then my email address is jessica at jessicatai.com. You can also follow me on Instagram. I am at that keto blonde on Instagram. My Facebook page, webpage is uh, Facebook forward slash Jessica Ty Nutrition. And you can follow me there. I post videos and things like that there. And if you would like to, if you're wherever you're listening to this podcast, if you want to leave me a review, that would be fantastic. I love getting the reviews on 
um, on iTunes because that helps to get us rated higher in iTunes and the higher you're rated, the more people find you. And I'm doing this podcast because I just want to get this information out to people. Uh, you know, it is my goal, my dream to help people feel better and realize that through nutrition and, um, and just realize how much better they can feel and how much healthier they can be. And uh, speaking of reviews, I have a review I want to share with you. This one was just left on Thursday, and it's by Rebel Z. It says, love it. It's good to see more podcasts coming out about the ketogenic lifestyle. I really look forward to learning and becoming healthier each day. Thanks for dedicating your talents to this show. And I really appreciate that. Thank you, Rebel Z. That was a five-star review. So if you'd like to leave me a review, I would really love to hear it. I would love for you to leave it. If you you want to leave a five star that would be even better <laughs> so and if there's something that you don't like or would like to see change on the podcast I am happy to take those suggestions so if you want to send me an email and give me some suggestions um, I would be happy to listen to that I appreciate the constructive criticism and want to make this a show that you want to listen to so if I can help help that be the, the way it is, then that's great. All right. I think that's all I got for today, guys. Have a great week and thank you so much for listening. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. This episode of Keto Lifestyle is brought to you by the How Did He Know app. How Did He Know is a revolutionary app that delivers daily customized tips to help men become better husbands and partners and reap the rewards that come from happy, fulfilling relationships. For more information, visit their website at www.howdidhenow.com or download it from the App Store today for iTunes or Android. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Keto Lifestyle Podcast. We hope that you enjoyed what we shared with you today and are looking forward to the next episode.